Safari online. You found Safari online. Awesome. Uh, I myself Wi-Fi. Very nice. Um, so we have, we're up to Parshish Chayisara, chapter 23. Um, Aviv, one more time. What page? 107 in the blue books. 107 in the blue books, if you have that. Huh? In a blue stone, in the blue stone, Chumash, we are on page one. What do you say? 107. 107. I was like, I'm going to give you the wrong page number. That's going to be like, my announcer voice is going to go down, you know, not be so helpful. Okay. So, Parsh Chaisara has a lot, a lot of stuff going on over here. Actually, it's not true. It doesn't have a lot of stuff going on. It has very few stuff told in very, very great detail, right? As soon as I was like, no, it's not actually true. Last week, we had a lot of stuff going on. We've had some hectic Parshas. This week is not one of the super hectic parshas, but it's still, there's so much going on, and let's see what happens. So, for anybody who has read the parsha, in Clifford, what would the parsha, what is the parsha about? Sarah. 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 Well, not really her death. No, Sarah. It's not really her, what's it? It's not her death because she passed away at the end of last week's Torah portion. So what do we have in Cliff Notes? Sarah's burial. Sarah's burial, exactly. Buying the Mars from Achpela. Okay, so that's like the Cliff Notes of the first part of the story. What's the next big bulk of the story? And he has a sent to find a wife for... For... For what's his face? Yeah, and then... Yeah, for who? Eliezer said to find a wife for... Yitzchak, for Yitzchak. No, Yitzchak's not even a, not even a twinkle in anybody's eyes. He's mm-hmm. going to find, a, Eliezer is sent to find a wife for Yitzchak. We're going to get into that. There's a lot of that. The 67 psukim that discuss that whole shidduch situation. Yep. That's a lot. If you know anything about Torah, 67 repetitive verses is a lot, so we're going to get into that. What happens after that, just so we get through the whole parsha? After the shidduch of Yitzchak and Rivka, what's the next story that we hear about? Huh? Avram dies. Avram dies. That's exactly what What? Before Avram dies. What do we have? Oh, he gets give, He gets remarried. He has a bunch of other children. Gives oh. them gifts, 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 gifts. Then he dies. Right. He sends them off, and he and then he dies. So yeah. So Avram remarries, has six children with this woman, gives them gifts, and sends them off to her. We're gonna get to that. We're gonna try. She's actually not the other woman. She's the same woman. Come back. We're gonna get to Kitura. We're, we're gonna get back to We're gonna get back to Kitura. We're gonna get back to Kitura. Yes, but um, nice. and what's the last thing that the parsha talks about? Um, Ishmael. Yishmael. We have the, the we have the family, the genealogy of Yishmael. We have the princes that he had. We have the end of the story. We have the death of Yishmael, and that is basically where our Torah portion ends. Yeah, we finished the whole parsha. <laughs> We've never done okay. that. Okay, we're done. <laughs> exactly right. Okay. So um, there's a couple of things that I want to talk about, and if there, I have a lot of things on my list. They're listed in my head. So in case I start something and you've already had this conversation, please let me know so we can continue to something else. Okay. So the first thing that um, the first thing that I want to point out, and we did mention this very briefly last time, is that according to some of the commentators, the uh, the tenth test for Avraham was not the Akeda last week but the negotiations this week for the Mars HaMachpelo, okay? Um, Stella, as per your question, I checked it up. It's in the Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer that has a conversation about that Avraham chased the animal right. into the cave and found the Mars HaMachpelo. So it's in the Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer. There's different kinds of medrash. So that's where that is actually listed. And um, so the beginning, of the, so the first thing that the Torah tells us is that these are, this is the life of Sarah, Right, that she's 100 years, 20 years, and 7 years. This is the life of Sarah. And literally she passes away. <laughs> like it repeats that she passes away. So when we talk about the life of somebody, 
that's something that we want to kind of look at a little bit and say, how is this her life? How is this her life? The first thing we hear about is her, is her passing. We hear about details about her burial. We actually don't hear about her burial. That's the honest truth of the matter. We hear a lot about the negotiations for the buying of the plot for her. We have her son remarrying. And the end of that is that he's comforted over the loss of his mother. And then we have Avraham remarries. No, Yitzchak gets married, and when, and the last, like the end of that conversation of the Shidduch of Yitzchak and Rivka is that he's comforted over the loss of his mother. The next thing is her husband remarries this woman, Keturah, who Rashi says is Hagar, who, like the Keturahs, Keturah comes from the same root as Keturahs, that just as the incense had this beautiful smell, she had totally... Yeah, she totally, her action was like the Keturahs, and she remarries Avraham. Do we remember Sarah saying, get this woman out of my house? Yeah. Okay, so Avraham remarries Keturah. It's a remarriage because she used to be Hagar. It's the same, it's the same person. And then Yishmael is back in the family also. Hello? Does anybody remember what Sarah did? Like, does anybody remember her life? How is this whole story, in all its totality, the life of Sarah. And we can't just say, oh, it was first words of the Parsha, so we'll just use the first words of the Parsha. The name of the Parsha has to have the essence of the whole Parsha. And it's a little bit strange when you break it down like that and say, how is this the essence of the Parsha? How is, how is this Parsha the life of Sarah? So we're going to break it down before we go into the Pesukim a little bit, and then we're going to go into some of the things that I want to share um, uh, more detailed about that. Her name is Keturah. It's in the end of the Parsha. It's like, if we didn't get to it yet, Emily's probably like tomorrow's chitas, you know, kind of thing. Um, what, it's, what was Sarah fighting for? What was her, what was her, what was her What did she want? She wanted to make sure that um, Yitzchak like had the birthright, essentially, that he was able to like continue what Abraham started. Right, so let, may, let me ask this question slightly differently. What's the difference between Abraham and Sarah? We're, meaning they're, they are a power team, but where are they different? Where are they different? Is Sarah more focused on her family and Avraham the larger picture of the nation? Exactly. Not only, no, not only the larger picture of the nation, Avraham is a pluralist. He wants everything and everyone. He's, the whole world has to be, you know, convinced of the, uni- the unity of God. His, his point is everybody. Sarah, laser focus. Sarah is Yitzchak, the Jewish people, the, not Yishmael. When, Avram says, when Hashem says to Avram, you're going to have a child with Sarah, and it's gonna, you're going to have a nation, you know, the nation will continue with him. He's, what, is, what is Avraham's response? What about Yishmael? What about Yishmael? I already have a kid. I already have a kid. Couldn't you just make him a good kid and let him? The, the place of Avraham being a little bit open to everybody and everything is very much his. Sarah was mamash laser focus. All she wanted was what was good for the Jewish people, for the continuity of the Jewish people. So if we start with the first thing, first of all, Eretz Yisrael for the Jewish people, this is the first recorded purchase in history of land for, that Avram is going to purchase land in the land of Israel. And what is that purchase made for? Made for Sarah. This land as being Avraham, the land for the Jewish people, Avraham is going to make that, he's going to make that purchase on behalf of Sarah. 
parentheses, later on, when the spies are going to be sent from the desert, yeah, Moses is going to send spies to the desert, and he's going to change Hoshea's name to Yehoshua. He changes, I don't know how Joshua goes to Joshua, but in, in English, he goes from Hoshea to Joshua. We add a Yud. We added a Yud to his name. Huh? No, no, no. So the, so then, so the Medrash says, where did the Yud come from for Yehoshua's name? Where did it come from? Which is like an interesting question. Like, why, why can't you put a, take a Yud off the, like the chart and put it on, right? But something about adding this name is going to give Yehoshua power to withstand the, the, the other people that he's traveling with, right? And the Medrash says that that Yud came from Sarai's name. Whoa. When Sarai was changed to Sarah, Right, essentially the ten got split into two fives. Sarah got a five and Avraham got a five. The Yud went to Hashem and said, what am I, chopped liver? <laughs> like, I was with the Tzedekis and now you took me off and what, why, you know. And so Hashem says, I got something in reserve. And that goes, that Yud went to Yehoshua. It wasn't just saving the letter, but the power and the passion for Eretz Yisrael that Sarai had gets attached to Yehoshua. So that passion for Eretz Yisrael, right here, um, is going to be actualized. It's not just going to be like, oh, we'll walk the land and one day God's going to give it to us. It actually is, it's actually going to be actualized. <laughs> it's actually, actually. Right? I was like, I thought, I got a better word for that. Right? But Avram is, is really going to buy a, a, a piece of land for Sarah, for the Jewish people. And this is really what she wanted. She wanted Eretz Yisrael for the Jewish people. So that's the first thing that we have. The second thing, the, within that parenthesis, I also want to add that who was already buried in the Maras Machpel at this point? Chava and Adam. Adam and Chava, right? Chava and Adam, Chava and Adam were already buried in, um, in the Maras Machpel. That Rashi tells us and, and the Medrash tells us. So, when we say that this cave is special because Adam and Chava are buried there, that's an Avram thing. That's pluralistic. That's the whole world. We all come from Adam and Chava. But as soon as that purchase now is narrowed down, Avram gets to buy it for Sarah, then the purpose of creation isn't only creation, but the Jewish people and their mission for God. We're buried there. Yeah, yeah. In Marzapel. Yes, yes, yes. Huh? No, please. Okay. Alicia, let's do it afterwards. Um, uh, so when, when Sarah takes this, this vision of Adam and Chava that could be for anybody but now becomes particular to the Jewish people, she's saying that the world has many, many facets and there's lots of things going on here but ultimately Hashem created the world so we could come down here and do mitzvot and that's being, they're sort of owning almost the Adam and Chava story by making it a Jewish place, okay? Now I want to say one more thing which it was interesting that I found since our last class because we spoke about last class how, how, sorry, how Avraham had chased the animal and he found the entrance to, Gan- to Ganadin. Another medrash, I think it was from Rabbeinu uh, Reuven, I don't remember exactly who said it. Another medrash says that when, uh, that when Avraham chased the animal, he actually saw Adam and Chava. He saw Adam and Chava there. Like in the flesh or in the No, no, no. 
I don't know. The answer is I don't know. Sorry. It's, the Medrash describes he saw them on their beds. I don't know what that means, and I don't think if we would have wandered into the cave, we would have seen Adam and Chava there. I think you need to have a certain spiritual sensitivity to see things that are going on in there. What? We dust by now. So I think you have a whole different set of rules, but whatever, <laughs> right? So, um, and, the, and that Medrash says, because we know, when, was, when, when did Abraham find the cave? Once when the angels came. So how long ago was that? Uh, like, what, 40-ish years ago? About 40 years ago. Dude, did you want to do anything about it until then? Like, why are you just leaving this cave empty, right? If we say Sarah passes away as a result of the Akedah, Yitzhak was, Yitzhak was 37 at the Akedah, so it's 37 years ago. You, you found this cave before he was, you, you, heard, you heard about his birth. So he knows about this cave for a long time. Why didn't he do anything? And the Medrash says, not the first Medrash, but the second Medrash says he actually used that cave as a place to come and pray on a regular basis. He used to go there regularly to, to go and pray in that cave. And when, the reason he didn't buy it, the Mepharshim say, is because Hashem had promised him five times that he was going to have the land of Israel. But he didn't know when the promise was going to come through, so maybe Hashem was going to give it to him. So, like, there was no need to buy it if Hashem was going to give it to him. But now, all of a sudden, he needs to bury Sarah. He needs a place to bury Sarah. So he always, he always knew exactly where he wanted to go. And according to one of the Drashim, he actually went there on a regular basis to Davin. And then he knew that when it came time to bury Sarah, he, did not, he had not yet been given the gift of Eretz Yisrael, he knew where he wanted to go and he knew where he wanted to, where he wanted to, to, he knew where he wanted to bury her because he knew that was the place, the special place, was the holy place, the entrance to Gan Eden, and he knew that was where he wanted to go. Okay? With that by way of introduction, <laughs> let's go into the parish a little bit, okay? Um, oh, okay. So we have over here, take a look at verse 2. Okay? It's easier if you look in the Hebrew. I'll read it in the Hebrew and translate it because there's some things that I want to show you in the Hebrew, okay? And I don't know if all the Hamashim have it, so if it doesn't, you'll, you'll let me know. Okay, it says, V'tamat Sarah, B'kiret Arba, Sarah passes away in Kiryat Arba, Hi Chavron, which is Chavron, Be'eret Kenan, in the land of Kenan, V'yavo Avraham, and Avraham comes, Lispod Sarah to eulogize Sarah, Uliv Chota, and to cry over her. Now, if you look at the word Liv Chota, what do you see? Little Chaf. Little Chaf. Okay, once we have letters that are bigger or smaller, that means to tell us, pay attention, something's going on over here. So the first thing that Rashi brings, that the other Mepharshim talk about, that he did not cry excessively. He wasn't, you know, he, he wasn't inconsolable. He was crying, but he was definitely not inconsolable. And different Mepharshim have different reasons why that is so. Some talk about the idea that she was 127 years old. She had lived a beautiful, full life. That wasn't like, you know, the biggest issue. And the other thing that different Mepharshim talk about is the idea that because Abraham had talk, er, talked to people, and he was, one of the things that he was talking about is that this world isn't the only world we have. There is a world to come, and there's a soul, and the soul is eternal. It was a teaching moment, and the teaching moment included, do we, are we inconsolable by the death of the body? Because the soul is still alive, and still, we're going to meet up again, but what happens with the body Yes, we cry. Yes, he's sad. It's, it is devastating for him. They've been together a long time. 
a long time. Just like a hundred years or something. Yeah, you whatever. We don't know exactly. You know, could have been over, you know, like just like a random hundred year relationship. Um, and the Gemara says, it's interesting, the Gemara says that a person can be comforted for everything except for the loss of his first love, the, the wife of his youth. So, uh, so, so there's a place where, you know, Abraham, he's not excessively crying about it. Now, I want to say one more thing about here. And it's going to go back to our other conversation from the previous weeks where we, we were speaking about Abraham as referring to the soul and Sarah referring to the body. Okay, so now we have a question. What's going on over here? What's going on over here? So with the, how, if you look at the Pasuk and you say put in body and soul for Sarah and Avraham, the body dies and the soul mourns. That doesn't seem to make 100% sense, right? And Hasidus talks about that Vatama Sarah Bikirin Arba, that she, there is there, the body, which is comprised of four elements. Kirin Arba, talking about, they, Kirin Arba is because of the four people, the four couples over there, but Arba, we know there are four elements that everybody, every single body or human material is made up of. He Chavron, that is a place of connection, Chavron, from the word Chaver, Chaverim, exactly. The body is held together, all those four elements are held together in the body. The Eretz Kenan, in the land of Kenan, and Kenan is, I don't remember the exact word, but it, it refers to a business. A Kenani is a business person, it's a merchant. So the body and soul, the body which was made up of four elements, was in the place where we can do business, so to speak, holy business. And so then the soul comes to mourn that loss because the soul understands intrinsically that the only reason, and we had this conversation in versions of it before, the only way the soul gets to do anything in this world is when it's connected to the body. And as soon as the body leaves, the soul understands that while the soul is eternal, the body is not, and the merchandise, any, any business that it did, body and soul together, is now over, and that connection is going to the body and soul connection is going to end, and so the soul mourns the loss of the ability to do more mitzvot and to have any more godly business. Amber. I just looked at the Rashi here on that line. It's really interesting. It says, on the line to be well, Sarah, and to weep for her. Yeah. He's saying that after she found out about the binding of Isaac, um, it was such a shock to her that she, her soul literally like flew out from her body. and she just... Cause of death was that she was scared to death. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of a lot of impression talk about that. Rashi brings some, but yeah, that she that how did she die? She heard that, you know, when you tell people when you when you tell people stories, you have to be careful how you tell them the stories. Like, but you know that then I was thinking about it. My sister was telling me something. She said it's all good. Then you know, start worrying, right? It's all good. But, so, but what happens to Sarah is the reverse. That they tell the story that Avram took your son and they went up to the mountain and they he brought a knife to kill him. Boom, and she's gone. And he doesn't hear. She she didn't live to the part that says, oh, but it didn't happen. So that's what that's what Rashi's bringing the the, the commentaries and the, the Gemara thing it brings that she literally was scared to death. I heard another commentary though where it was. Um she died because of like the relief that like or like her like it was like her mission in on the world like ended because she knew that her son was also willing to give up his life. So that's I think there's a more there there is a, a, a thought in Hasidus that talks about the idea that the place Sarah is much more gvura mm-hmm. 
Avram is Chesed, Sarah is more Gvura, yeah. and Yitzchak is more Gvura. So this is something that she's like, <gasps> like wow, <Yeah. laughs> wow. So there's yes, there are different, there are different, uh, but that, that's definitely going once you go into Chesed it's in that okay. part of it because it also doesn't make sense. Okay, um, uh, okay, and then we have this whole conversation of the the purchase, the actual purchase of the land. Um, we're not going to go into the whole conversation. If you've read it through, there's like a lot of, please, could you too? And they're talking nicely and everybody's bowing around. Um, and, they, and, they, and he says that he wants to buy this, this he, he's very clear about what, he, it's not like it's just any property. He wants to be able to buy this particular, um, this particular section. And at the end of the first Aliyah, chapter 23, um, verses 15 and 16, 14, 15, and 16, where the final negotiation is that Ephraim says to Avraham, 400 silver coins between friends, what is that? And Avraham, it ends that, Hashem, that Avraham hears what Ephraim is really saying, and he weighs out the money for him, and they each go home, and they all, have, they all feel like they got the better end of the deal. Right? So Avraham actually ends up paying, the, the pause again, he weighs out for, for Ephron 400 shekel kesef over la socher. He pays him like gold bullion. He doesn't see, like, like, it's not like, oh, everybody has their own little currency and he's giving him cash that you can only, you ever go return something to a store and you get a voucher or, to the store? And it's like, I don't want to buy anything in your store anyway. Like, I'm returning this because I don't want anything <laughs> in your store. Don't give me a voucher to your store. It's not helpful. Give me the cash. So Avraham actually pays Ephron money that is used every place. Wherever you go, there is currency that is like it's a very it's considered a very high quality, um, um, very high quality currency, and that's what he actually pays for it. So the Talmud wants to know how much land do you get? How much land did Avraham get for four hundred silver coins? Can I erase here? Yeah. Oh my God! Sorry. Beautiful handwriting. We are doing some math. So Avraham pays. 400 shekels for the for the for the for the for the, the cave and the land around it and um, the so the Thomas says in the time of the Talmud for a core of land you would pay 50 shekels which means that Abraham bought how many core two eight he bought eight core so we say and how much is a core that doesn't help us right a core is 75,000 Square amas. Wow. wow. Now, anybody? What? Amas. So now, an ama is anything between 18 and 24 inches, so which is essentially the place for a person to stand on. How much, without a calculator, Stella, how much did he buy? How many? 96, huh? It's 600,000. 600,000 square amas were purchased at the, the when Avraham purchased the Mars Machpelah. If I say the number 600,000, what do you know about that number? The Nishamas at Harsinai? That was the amount of people at Harsinai? Close. We're getting close. Anybody? 600,000. What does the Torah tell us? Not souls. We're not going souls. People. People? 600,000 men between the ages of 20 and 60 left Egypt. And those are the people who are going to come and inherit the land. So when Abraham purchased the Marsabach Pela, he purchased a foothold. Oh. In Eretz Yisrael, for every single one of those people who were going to inherit the land when they left Mitzrayim. Oh. 
Okay? The other thing which I want to point out, which the Rebbe has pointed out multiple times, that there are three places in this in three places in Eretz Yisrael whose purchase is recorded in the Torah. And in theory, that means there should be no fight over that territory. Those three places are the Maris Machpelah, Harabayit, and Kevri Yosef. Three places. So Kevri Yosef is in Shechem, which is in Nablus. Harabayit, we know where that is. And we know where Kevri is. The three places that have the most contention today are three places that their purchase is recorded in detail in the Tanakh. The mountain, the Harbite. Oh. Where the base of Mikdash was. What, last year, wasn't there like some, some yes. kids what? that went in and like went to Kevriosif and like. They always, they, you can always, there are people who go to Kevriosif, you can only go under strict army no, guard. No, no, but I mean, they went and they like totally like destroyed the place or whatever. They like caused damage. It's like an So, okay. <laughs> so, to go to, K- so to go to Kevriosif, you go, uh, there's a group of, of, uh, Mostly Brestov Hasidim who organize it. Every every Arab Rosh Chodesh, they organize, they coordinate with the army buses to go to Kevri Yosef, and it has to be. Shem goes under lockdown, and people can. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big it's a big thing. If you want to, I could try to find information. I've never actually done it myself, but uh, some of the people I know have gone. So, the um, seder. So that's the first. That's we're not finished with this this conversation, but we're for it right now. We're finished with this conversation because we have other things we need to talk about. <laughs> Questions, comments? No. Okay. Was that a lot of money? Not only was it a lot of money, it was an astronomical amount of the top dollar. Whatever you would say today. Six hundred thousand dollars. No, no, no. It wasn't six hundred thousand dollars. It was four hundred uh, silver coins. But over La Socher, it was like. I've seen something that I don't remember, like what would that be in today's money? For then, it was an astronomical amount. And, and you know, the Hasidists, they talk about the idea, like both of them go home, and each, and, and Ephraim goes to his wife, and he's like, we offloaded that, we offloaded <laughs> that, that cave in the middle of the corner over there, like, look at this, we can go to Paris, like, we got all this money. And Avraham goes back to his place, and he said, I got the entrance to Gan Eden. I got a place for Sarah. And they each go home and they, and they, and they, uh, and they each feel like they got the better end of the deal. And what's interesting is that the Gemara, when it talks about how one can marry a woman, one of the examples, of it, one of the, we know that one of the ways you can be married is with money. And that's why we have a ring. Um, and they learn it from the purchase of a cave, of Avram's purchase. And, they, and the modern, like, Commentators talk about the idea, like in a real marriage, every single person should go back and say, "Wow, I got, I, I am so lucky. I got the best end of this deal." Like, wow, the other person doesn't even know how what a great deal I got. So that's that's the end of my my purchase of the cave. And okay, chapter twenty four. Abraham is getting older. Hashem gives him everything, and all of a sudden he realizes. Not only that I'm going to die soon, but if we're talking about this is right after uh, the Akedah. Yitzhak needs a wife. Yitzhak needs a wife because we really almost lost him. We almost, we almost lost him such a, like, so closely, and we need to go deal with this. Now, we have, have please tell me you've read the story inside so we don't have to go through the whole, whole story. Yes. Yeah. Question? No. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> but say this. So basically what's going to happen is that Avram is going to say to his servant, he's actually never identified in the Chomish now by name. 
he's always called the servant of Avraham. He says to his servant, in the line of uncomfortable things that we could maybe skip, but we're going to not skip because because we don't always do that, right? So if you look at the beginning of the if you look at the beginning of the chapter, chapter twenty four, Avram calls the person who's in charge of his household, and he says to him, I want you to swear that you are going to get a wife for my son and do not marry any of these Canaanite women. How does he ask him to swear? On his thigh. He says, put your hand under my thigh. Okay? And Rashi says that in order to make a, in order, in order to swear, in order to swear, you need to put your hand on something that's holy. Pre-Sinai, they had nothing holy. Holiness was never imbued in anything physical. Adam had only one thing that he had that was holy because it was a command, a direct commandment from Hashem that he did, and that was his circumcision. So the only place that he has that is holy is a circumcision, and he says to, he says to his servant, put your hand on something holy and swear that you will, you will not take a Canaanite wife for my, for my son. You can skip the uncomfortable stuff, but that really that's the fun parts of it. I do have a question, but technically wouldn't Yitzhak also be holy after the Akedas? He is holy, and that's why he's not allowed to leave the, the land of yeah, Israel, but, but he's when, not considered an object of Kedusha. He's considered holy in that he has parameters of where he can and can't go. Mm-hmm. Just like later on when we were going to have a base Hamikdash, we're going to have a temple, sacrifices were not allowed to be taken out of the temple property, yeah. or else they would, be, they would lose their... You wouldn't, be able to, you wouldn't be able to offer them as, as a sacrifice. That's why Yitzchak is actually not allowed to leave Eretz Yisrael. He's not allowed to leave the borders, which is why somebody else has to go find him a wife. Parenthetically, when Eliezer, who we know from the Midrashim, who, who Eliezer is, um, sorry, I totally lost my train of thought for a second. When Eliezer is charged with a mission, he's not charged with the mission to get a kala. He's, he's not charged with a mission. I don't know how to say kala in English. A bride? No, because the bride is, well, you're married already. The bride is married. Betrothed. Right, so he's not going to betroth her. He's going to bring back a wife for Yitzhak. He will actually affect Kiddushin with risk of truth. Yeah, she is actually, when she comes back, she's actually halachically married. She's not, she's not, oh, come meet, my, come meet this guy and get engaged to him. That's not what it is. He actually is, is charged with going and finding somebody and bringing back a wife for him, which is very interesting. Okay? That's something that can be done without Yitzchak being present. Yes, in Halacha it talks about you could be Makadish, a woman, you could if, and affect Kiddushin, the, the, the sanctity of marriage, through a shliach. And Eliezer is in fact going to be the first shliach, and that's going to be his job to bring back a wife for Yitzchak, okay? Not a king. Not a king, huh? We're going to get to her age in a second. Okay. So, say, so he says, and this is one of the interesting things about this, this whole section, because he, this is a whole conversation where he says, okay, and he, I'm going to use Eliezer, even though it doesn't say it in the Pasuk. Eliezer's like, what, if she doesn't want to come with me, should I take him back? And Aaron's like, no, you're not allowed to take him there. You have to, Hashem will, Hashem will help you. He took me from my father's house. He's been like a guide the whole way. It'll be Sababa, but if if she doesn't want to come here, then you're you're absolved of your um, then you're absolved of your oath, and just don't bring him back. Okay, so he goes. We're up to Shlishi. Look at this. We're going. We're moving so quickly through the parsha. So the Eved takes the servant takes ten 
uh, ten camels laden with all the good of his, of his, of his boss, and they go towards. He says, "Go to," because uh, Avram had said, "Go to my family, my family home. Go to Haran, where my family's from, and go find a wife there." Um, parenthetically, it's interesting. I, I, I want to. We're going to get to this, but. Um, Remind me, we have to get back to this, okay? Now, I want to point something out to you. So he, go, so, he, so he comes to the place, and he gets the camels to kneel. I don't know how you say that smoothly in English, but in Hebrew you say, he caused the camels to kneel, his 10 camels, and he says, and take a look, and I want you to look in Pasuk Yudbez in verse 12, on top of Vayomer, he says, Hashem, the God of my master Abraham, Please help me this day do chesed for my, my, my master Avraham. Do you notice what's on top of the first word, Vayomer? Yeah, it's like lightning bolt. Sorry, what line? It's verse 12. It's a zigzag. It's, it's a zigzag. It's a lightning bolt. It is a, it's part of the cancellations. It is called a shalshelet. Okay, a shalshelet is, I cannot sing and I do not know truck, but I know that shalshelet, as you see that zigzag back and forth, that is how the note is you see you go it goes back and forth okay the shalshelet appears i think three times in the whole tanakh okay maybe four one was last week by by lot had it once we have it once here with eliezer it happens another time with yosef like and there's one more, like, I think further on, maybe in, in, in the Navi. But in, huh? it's, a, it's a note, it's a specific note called a shalshelet. And one of the things that we talk about, that what is sort of what's the emo- It's interesting. Open, 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 opening the brackets for a second. But um, I think it was the Vilna Gona, I don't remember exactly, who said that if he could hear just the cantillations and not the words, he would know what they were talking about because the cantillation also tells the story. Now the cantillation of Shalshelet is indecision. Anytime you have somebody, you have a person in Tanakh who is vacillating about what they have to do, you see a Shalshelet, okay? We don't have it so often because those aren't the stories we hear so much, but right here, and, and, and what we're gonna see in the story is that his indecision does not become apparent to him until later on. As he's at the well, he has this prayer. Parenthetically, a parenthesis to the, not to the parenthesis, but different parentheses, is that the Talmud actually says there were three people who made a request that was not appropriate, and, they, and some were answered and some were not answered. And one of the prayers that is considered inappropriate is Eliezer's prayer over here, where he says, he davens Hashem, he says, I'm standing by the water, who wants to read 12 and 13 and 14? Who's going to read? Go, Amber, go for it. He said, O oh Hashem, God of my master, Avraham's house, grant me a good, good fortune this day and do graciously with my master, Avraham. Keep going. Here I stand by the spring as the daughters of the town people come out to draw water. Let the maiden whom I say, please lower your jar that I may drink, and who replies, drink, and I will also water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have decreed for your servant, Isaac. Thereby shall I know that you have dealt graciously with my master. Keep going. He had scarcely finished speaking when Rebecca, who was born to Bethuel, the son of 
Milcah, the son, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with a jar on her shoulder. Okay, so what is he saying? How am I going to know if this is the right person? He's asking for a sign, which you're he's asking not right. right. He answers ask for signs, right? He says, "I'm here. Can you please send somebody?" I'm going, and the sign is, "I'm going to ask them for water, and they're going to give me water and water to the camels." And he didn't even finish speaking, and boom, here comes Rivka, and right away we're giving the genealogy of Rivka, whose daughter she is. It's Avraham's brother, Nachar. So we know that this is family coming. Eliezer doesn't know that, but Eliezer watches her, and the, and the Pesukim and the Farshim talk about it, the Talmud talks it a lot, and the Zayar talks about it at great length. He's watching this girl, he's watching her for seven different character traits, but he wants to see if this is the right person for they're cousins. They're not cousins with... They're, he, he, they're not cousins... She's not a cousin to Yitzchak. She's a very distant cousin to Yitzchak. She's not related to Eliezer at all. She's Avram's great... Like, great, great niece, I think. So... Basuel is the daughter, is a son of Nachar. And this Avram? is her child. Nachar is Avram's, bro- Avram's brother. Basuel is her son. And Rivka is a daughter. So it's Avram's great niece. Um, okay, so... So now we have in verse 17 that the servant runs after her and he asks her to, you know, could you give me some water? And everyone's like, why do you have to walk, run after her? And one of the things they talk about in the Medrash brings is that we have running water, thank God. So it's like not a real reality that we have to think about. But to go, to get the water, they had to, they basically, there were, she was going down towards whatever the body of water was whether it was a stream or whatever, she had to get the water and then come back up. In different places, they, descri- they described there was like a ramp going down or whatever was going. There's different situations, whether, whether it was a well that she had to build down or a stream that she had to go. And he was assuming it was going to take a certain amount of time. And what actually happened, he saw, was that the water came up to her. So she just had to scoop and go. She didn't have to lower it down, bring it back up, and then go. So he was caught off guard. He chases her, asks her for the water. She gives him to drink. And if you look at the Pesukim, it's very clear. She lets him drink his fill. And then she says, I will also give to your camels. So he's not like stressed. Oh my gosh, this kid is waiting to think that it's also very interesting that the, the Mepharshim talk about that she has kadal, shikma, she has her, she has her, her um, jug. jug, right? On her shoulder, thank you for getting my, my hand motions. And most people, one of the things when he's looking for generous spirit, most of the people who were getting the water did not display that they had water because they didn't want anybody to take their water. They didn't want, if, if, you're, if you're going to somebody's in the desert and they're thirsty, they ask for a drink, like that, what do you do? But most people sort of concealed it somehow or they quickly got their water and they scurried, you know what I mean? They didn't, they didn't hang around, they didn't display, hey, I have water. Um, and so she gives water to all of the all of the animals, and then, and then, she finishes giving, in verse 22, she finishes giving water to all the animals, and you know the camels can drink a lot, and he gives her gold, gold uh, nose rings and bracelets and the whole shebang, and then he says, oh, by the way, who are you? Who are you? <laughs> right? When he tells the story over to her, sim- or to her family, he does switch that little detail around. He said, I asked who it was, and then I gave the things, sort of cleaning up his story a little bit. Um, and lo and behold, it's the right person. Um, uh, Lila raised the question of how old is Rivka. There, is, there are a number of Midrashim that talk about how old she is. She isn't identified here uh, by age, obviously, but the, there's 
different, different, different things given. One of the things they talk about is that she was three years old. One is that she was 14, one that she was 20. There's all different mafarshim that are given. It's so funny, I was listening to, I was listening to somebody there talking about how they get a call from school that the, the kid is that their daughter was like not paying attention in class and like he didn't know what to do with it. Like you, know, you gotta speak to her, she's not paying attention in class. So they take her daughter and they so what's going on? She's like, teacher is saying things that are just so ridiculous I couldn't listen to the teacher. What the teacher said is so ridiculous. The teacher said that Rifka got married when she was three years old. Everybody knows three-year-olds don't get married. So if that's what she has to say, I have nothing to listen to her about anything else that she says. Um, it, you could say it's a weird medrash. You could say it's one of the medrashim. But the fact is that it is one of the medrashim. Were people the same age? Were they not the same age? Were all different kinds of things we could we could argue about three year olds and what their ability then versus what their ability now is. Here, somebody who's clearly old enough to go get fa- water for the family. Could we say there's something childlike about her? Perhaps. All I'm saying is, if yeah. she was, you'd be very worried. Because this is later on that Isaac took him as her wife. So I'd be very worried if she was three years old. I- Correct. And and there is a conversation that we talk that we talk about later on in next week's parsha. We talk about parsha's told us. That um, that she um, that the first ten years that they were married, there was never any question about her having children. She was physically not old enough to have children. And then once they had been married for ten years after that, then it became a question that we need to pray for children. Um, historically, by the way, they I know for sure in Yemen this was going on where they married babies off to each other. There was there was there were decrees against the children, and so they married babies off to each other. There clearly they did not. They weren't husband and wife in anything except paper and, and protection from the government. So one of the things that we would say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say here, is that we know that, that Rifka, when they ask Rifka, what does she wanna do? There's a whole back and forth. You wanna go, you wanna stay, they wanna hold her for another year, da 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 da. She's like, I want out. And the, and the Talmud describes, huh? they, they, but they describe Rifka as Kishoshana ben Achochim. She's a rose amongst thorns. There is a place where she is, the thorns in a way are protecting the rose to a certain degree, but at the other place, she needs out of there. And one of the things, as soon as she sees Eliezer, she understands that the, what she is seeing in her head versus what's going on around her, that match is not because she's the crazy one. She wants out and she wants to go to the house of Abraham. Do they officially get married and they, we're going to have to assume that they don't consummate this marriage because that doesn't actually make sense in today's day and age. He'd go to jail. She'd get taken to child services. But, but, that, but that's not what we're talking about, meaning there's for sure some kind of connection that is going to be made, and he is called, she is called his wife. What, is, what it looked, I don't think that for Yitzhak the biggest issue was the physical part of it, but the place of continuity of the legacy, that was something that as soon as she came into the house, that we're going to have later on in the story, is that he is comforted for his, for his mother. And Rashi says that as long as we're jumping to the end of the story for a second, as long as Sarah was alive, she had three constant miracles that were going on in her, in her life. She had what? She had fresh dough the whole time. She had candles. She had candles that lit from Shabbos to Shabbos. And she had a, she had a cloud, the Shekhinah above, Shekhina above her tent. And when Sarah left, all of those things left. And when Rifka comes back into the tent, all of those things come back. Wow. So whether they 
whether they are husband and wife and more than just ksuba, um, I, don't, I don't know the answer to the question. I could make up my answer, but that's just me making up my answer. But I think that the place of understanding that this was going to be the next link in the chain of Am Yisrael was going to be Yitzchak and Rivka, and that was going to start as soon as she was able to do it. And, and as a three-year-old, if you want to go with that, as a 14-year-old, whatever she was, she was able to be that, that next link in the chain. Parenthetically, it's very interesting that Avraham at this point is 137 years old. Let's say if Yitzhak, the Torah tells us next week he got married when he was 40. So Avraham's 140 years old. When he remarries, he's going to live for another 35 years, but he's off the center of the stage because Judaism is not a one-man show. Judaism is a couple show. And Avram and Sarah as the power team now have given over the baton to Yitzhak and Rivka. Now, obviously, Sarah passed away, but we don't hear Avram. He's alive for another, yeah, 35 years. 40 to 75 is another 35. I'm just taking my math. He's alive for another 35 years. We hear nothing of him. He got married. He had more children. He passes away in a ripe old age. Everything, excuse me, everything is good. When Avram passes away, his life is good. His life is beautiful. The people in his life are good and kind. Nobody's gone. Asaph hasn't started his descent into, you know, Balagan. And Yishmael is back in the house. Like, everything is good when he passes away. But he's not the, he's not the leader of the nation anymore. Yitzhak and Rivka are going to be the leader of the nation. I want to go back to the Shalshelet for a second. Okay. And um, in the story, in, in Ravi, um, um, she, he goes in and he starts to tell the... He, he, this person starts telling the story of what he did, blah, blah, blah. And he talks about the, the, he talks about the, he talks about the covenant that he made to get, find the wife. We're like at uh, chapter 24, I'm like in 35 and 36, and they have a child, blah, blah, blah. And 37, my, my master made me swear that I shouldn't take a wife for his daughter from the Canaanite women, blah, blah, blah. And, and I said to my, in verse 39, and I said to my master, perhaps you will not come with me. And, and, um, and he says that if I don't, then I'm freed from my, from my promise. And Rashi, um, Rashi here says, who has an English Rashi? He's, Chomish 39 it says, maybe she won't come. Chapter 24, verse 39. Rashi says, A likes it. It's there's no vowel, there's no vowels in the Torah. So Ulai, the first time we, he tells Abraham the story, it's written Alav Vav Lamid. Yud Ulai. And now it's written without the Vav. Huh? There are no vowels in the Torah scroll. It's, it, it's just letters. So you can change the vowels and see what's going on. So Rashi says, he was saying, A lai. I have a daughter, Eliezer says, I have a daughter. If your family member doesn't want to marry Yitzchak, would you consider my daughter for the shidduch? The, the, the shalshelet in his prayer that he is not aware of until he retells the story is that as he's praying, he's hesitating. Do I really want to be successful or not? Do I really want to be successful? And that's why there's a shalshelet over his prayer because... He doesn't even realize himself that there's a place of indecision in his behavior because he does have a daughter. Even though Avram said, no, you're free of your oath. You can't, you know, my, my son's not marrying your daughter. It's not happening. 
but there is this sort of in the back of his head, there is this hesitation in his prayer. Um, uh, something that is, I want to say one thing, we're, shockingly enough, we are still running out of time. Um, uh, an interesting thing, Eliezer is never given a name, all these 67 psukim. As long as he is talking to, to Bisuel, who is Rikva's father, his mother, to love and her brother, he's always called Haish, the person. As soon as he starts getting closer towards the end, when she leaves, when she leaves, she, he's called, uh, what's his, Eliezer. Um, he's called, a, he introduces himself as Eved Avram. The Pasuk refers to him as Haish, the person, the man. But then when they go out, if you take a look in chapter 24, we have Yitzhak and Rivka's meeting. It's going to start from, from 62, 63, 64. Um, so she says, Vatomer el she then says, she says to the servant, who is that person over there? And, she's, and, and Eliezer says, oh, that's my master. And that's when she realizes who she's supposed to marry. I think in one of the more romantic uh, comments of a not super romantic couple, she then falls off her horse. <laughs> She falls off the camel. Um, she, calls, she sees him and she covers it and she, and she, she falls off her camel. I think it's very, very, very cool. But one of the parts we talk about the idea that as long as Eliezer is in proximity to Lavan and Besuel and their surroundings, over there he's an Ish. And we know that Ish refers to somebody who is a very high caliber because compared to those people, this guy's a rock star. But as soon as you get closer to Avraham and to Yitzchak and to their family, then his... his his essence really comes through Aleph um, uh, Yudshin. And that, and really, and I don't say this in a, in a, I don't say this in a belittling way at all, but his real essence was, as he described himself, as Ebed of that he understands that he is, in fact, a servant of Avram. And that is how he most optimally describes his his person and his and and his abilities. Um, so I wanna I wanna say I wanna tag it to something. So this week, first of all, this week is Shabbos Mubarakim again. So we're gonna get to that in a second. But this week is also the Kinnas Hashluchim in America, and uh, thousands of, of people who their biggest description of themselves is that they are a shliach of the Rebbe are gathering together, and they're people with great accomplishments, but. We only become, we only are as accomplished as we understand who we are and what we are. We're not the boss. God is the boss. We're in ch- he's in charge in each and every one of us in our lives. He is the ultimate boss. And as long as we can say, we have amazing talents and we have amazing abilities and we have to utilize them in our space as a servant of God, then, then we're on the right path. The second we think, oh, it's all about me and I'm so awesome and I'm so wonderful and I'm so talented, then we lost the plot and things are, um, things are not going to be so cool. Uh, three minutes. Okay. Um, Beseder. We're not going to get so much into the... We're not going to... We're... Okay. Speed round. Go. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, okay. So... Um, I'm going to touch on one thing. Hopefully, it'll wrap up normally, and then we're going to finish with a bracha. Okay, so in, in the meeting of Yitzchak and Rivka, we have Yitzchak coming from this place, the Er Lechai Ro'i, 
who remembers hyperlink, where have we had Be'er L'chairo'i before? He's coming from a place called Be'er L'chairo'i, and he's in the field, and he's praying, and that's when he meets Rivka. Anybody remember, where did we have Be'er L'chairo'i? When Sarah chases Hagar out of the house the first time, and she ends up at a well, and she's, she's crying, and she has a vision from the angel, she names the place of Be'er L'chairo'i. And so, Yitz, so now Yitzchak, who in this situation understands that somebody's going to find a wife for himself, for him, he's like, how can I leave my father by himself? And Yitzchak goes to Be'er L'chairo'i, where he knows Hagar as, is, there's, that's where she hangs out. She saw the angel. There, there's a whole, there's a lot, I'm, I'm simplifying, it's one, one commentary, there's lots of conversation. Where he was going, what he was doing there, how often did he go there? Um, some of the commentators talk about the idea that he used to go frequently to Be'er L'chairo'i because Hagar had seen the angel there and that was the place that he went for davening and for meditation. And Rashi brings from the Gemara, he went to Be'er L'chairo'i to find Hagar to bring her back to Abraham. He did not want his father to be alone. He was getting married and if his father was going to worry about him, he was going to worry about his father. He goes back, he gets Hagar, he, he's in the middle of bringing Hagar back to his father, so he can, his father can have companionship and continue to have more children, um, which I think is such an incredible, incredible, incredible level of sensitivity um, that, and you know, there's no words, it's, I think it's just that, it's just an incredible place to understand that, that, that just because his, his father is old doesn't mean that he has to be alone, and that's, and, and we know that the Torah tells us that he remarries Keturah, and they have all these children, and he sends them off uh, to the east. In his lifetime, he separates them, because even Abraham understands that the children of Keturah and Yitzchak are not in the same category, sends them off to the east. Rav Ginsburg teaches that if you ever go to the east, to all the, the Asia, which is to the east of Eretz Yisrael, and there's all kinds of magic and all kinds of interesting things. He says that is a result of the gift that Avraham gave his children and sent off to the east. It is real power. It is not our power. It is not holy power. But it is in fact very real. And it's from the gift that Avraham gave his children. I want to give us a little bracha. This week is Shabbos Mubarakim. We are going to bless the month of Kislev. One of the things we know about the month of Kislev is that it is full of light. <laughs> it is full of and the power of light is to be warm and to be illuminating for ourselves and for the people around us. And as we work to embrace one part of the place that we are serving to Hashem, we should do it not with the cold of Cheshvan, but with the warmth and the light of Kislev that's coming up ahead of us. We should have an amazing rest of the week, an amazing rest of the day. Thank you.